Please listen carefully. Hello, and welcome to Caveat Realtor with Virginia Realtors, where we discuss the real issues that realtors face. I'm John Haley. And I'm Kate Orslan. Remember, Caveat Realtor is meant to provide general legal information. Nothing we discuss should be considered as legal representation or legal advice. Hi, Kate. Hey, John. How's it going? Going well. How are you doing? Good. Good. Did you do anything for the MLK Day weekend? We didn't. You know, we were at work for the actual observed holiday, but pretty quiet weekend in my house, just hanging around. How about you guys? Same thing. Yeah. It's nice to have a, a nice quiet weekend without any snow. Yes. Agreed. It's nice to have a nice quiet weekend. <laughs> it is, always. So today's topic is ADA compliance. Right. Today's podcast is the third entry in our series on ADA compliance, following our previous and well-loved episodes about assistance animals and website accessibility. Hopefully this episode's more Return of the Jedi than Godfather 3, but I'll leave it to you guys out there to tell us that for sure. Only time will tell. Only time will tell. In a galaxy far, (laughs) far away. Or nearby, who knows? (laughs) While our previous podcast discussed specific topics within the ADA framework, this will be an attempt to provide kind of a more general update on issues within ADA and the Fair Housing Act, particularly those that can affect landlords and property managers. So by the way of some background, the Fair Housing Act is a combination of several federal laws that protect consumers from discrimination on several bases. Our discussion today revolves around those individuals with disabilities and how you can make sure that your property is acceptable under federal law. So first, it's important to note that these requirements do not apply to every rental property. So, for example, if the owner of a single-family house does not own or have any interest in more than three single-family houses at any one time, then that house is exempt from federal fair housing regulations. Also, if the building contains living quarters to be occupied by no more than four families, that building is exempt. However, we do want to make sure that we note the prohibition against discriminatory advertising that applies to all properties, regardless of the size or number of people who live there. And certainly just because these laws don't apply does not mean that we would ever encourage you to engage in discriminatory behavior. Right. Maybe some of these laws are not applicable to you at the moment. Still be aware of them and be a good person. That's the best thing we can say on this MLK Day weekend. (laughs) Fair Housing Act defines a person with a disability to include individuals with a physical or mental impairment that substantially limits one or more major life activities, individuals who are regarded as having such an impairment, and individuals with a record of such impairment. And this can include a large array of diseases and physical or emotional disabilities, But we want to make clear we note that it does not include drug addiction caused by the current illegal use of a controlled substance. As a housing provider, you're entitled to request confirmation if you don't know or have the reason to know of a tenant's disability if it's not readily apparent or obvious. So this can include a verification from a doctor or other third-party provider. And they don't have to tell you exactly what the disability is, just that that person has a qualifying disability. And after you have sufficient proof that a disability does exist, next need to determine if you can provide a reasonable accommodation to the tenant that would allow him or her to enjoy and use the property. So under the Fair Housing Act, a provider certainly can deny a request for a reasonable accommodation if the accommodation is not in fact reasonable. 
that kind of falls into whether it would be overly burdensome, either financially or administratively, or if it would fundamentally alter the nature of the provider's operation. So one good example is a request for a $20,000 elevator in a two-story apartment that you rents for let's say $9.50 a month, that would most likely be unreasonable. That's a significant financial burden and would alter the structure of the property. But, you know, just because the initial request may not be feasible, that's not the end of this discussion or inquiry about accommodation. That's right. And you used the word discussion there. I think that's a good thing to think of fair housing and requests for accommodation as discussions between the provider and the tenant. So maybe the $20,000 elevator wouldn't work, Kate, in your example, but maybe you have a single floor apartment in the same complex into which you can move that tenant. And so that would be something that would possibly get them to where they need to be and not provide the burdensome construction of an elevator for you. And again, this is also going to be like case-by-case inquiry. So although we're using the example of a $20,000 elevator right now, there may be properties where that could be a very feasible accommodation. So we're kind of talking general examples for specific case, but when you have a specific case, you really need to do a case-by-case analysis. Right, yeah, that's that's one thing you need to work on. It, it could be burdensome for me and you as providers, whereas it could not be burdensome for someone who has a different type of property. Type of property. Yeah. That's right. So the Department of Housing and Urban Development often looks into whether a housing provider has offered some type of alternative accommodation in cases they're brought involving fair housing violations. So it helps to protect your interest to provide some kind of discussion and alternative for the tenant. But perhaps more importantly, it keeps your tenants safe and happy, all at the same time reducing the burden on you. After all, happy tenants are often the best tenants to have. One important thing to note, you cannot pass on the costs associated with an accommodation to the tenant in the form of, say, extra fees or higher security deposits or things of that nature. Kate, you know where we're going to go? It's legal hotline time. One of my clients is 100% disabled. And she's insisting that this status gives her an exemption to rent in any age 55 or plus community. Is that right? So, no. Under the Virginia Code, and we talked a lot about federal earlier, but looking at the Virginia Code now, there's no exemption to allow a person to move into an age-restricted community based on disability status. This would be a good opportunity to engage in an interactive process. If it is a 55-plus community, it's likely that there may not be an accommodation that you can provide. But if you were hired as an agent to help this individual find housing, you could certainly look to other properties that are available that could serve your client based on her disability status and that might be more appropriate for her. Right. John, my complex does not assign parking spots to residents. Instead, it's always first come, first served. A tenant has mobility impairment that severely limits her ability to walk and request an assigned parking place as close to her unit as possible. Do I have to do that? So in this case, the simple act of reserving a parking spot is something that would almost definitely be seen as an accommodation that is reasonable. Um, So you should make an exception to this policy in that case. There are, like we said, this is not a one-size-fits-all rule. If there are issues with your parking lot that prevent you from doing this, then you'd absolutely need to make plans and have discussion with this tenant to try to figure out if there's some alternative. But In general, this is going to be something that's pretty easy to do, and that's a reasonable accommodation that you most likely should be able to grant. Kate, I have a tenant with a disability that prevents him from opening the dumpster that we provide for trash collection. He requested that a maintenance worker come to his apartment every day to collect the trash and take it to the dumpster. 
problem is we're a small operation. We only can afford to have maintenance staff on site twice a week. Do I have to give in to this request to have someone come by every day to take his trash? So this is one of those situations that's really going to be dependent on the cost of the requested accommodation. If it's determined through examining the cost that the requested accommodation would pose an undue financial burden by more than doubling the amount of on-site maintenance time for a small development, the requested accommodation may not be reasonable. Again, you probably want to consult an attorney who can help you make that determination under the fair housing laws, but this would be a really great time if it's determined that it's not a reasonable accommodation to participate with that interactive process with the tenant to try and find an alternative that would be acceptable to both parties. You might be able to place an open trash can near the tenant's unit or perhaps having the maintenance staff on site twice a week pick up his his trash would be sufficient. You just need to have that conversation and discussion after performing the analysis on your end as to whether it is or is, is not something that would be a financial burden. So final question. I offer accessible units to persons with disabilities needing the features of those units on a priority basis. Can I inquire as to whether applicants have a disability during the tenant selection process? Yes, you can. You can ask applicants if they have a disability, and if so, as a result of that disability, they will benefit from these particular features of your units. However, you don't want to use this as a fishing expedition to inquire about all physical or mental impairments that a tenant may have. You want to tailor it towards the disabilities that may be helped by the particular changes you've made to those units. Sure. It's always a really good idea to contact a local attorney who has experience in fair housing. Think of fair housing not as a demand, but rather as a conversation that you'll find that you can satisfy the law while creating happier tenants, both of which are really great things. And when in doubt about a particular accommodation, it's always a good idea to contact a local attorney who has experience in fair housing. This will really limit your risk and exposure as a property manager when dealing with requests for accommodations. Thank you for joining us. Caveat Realtor is a weekly podcast with episodes released every Tuesday. Our podcast is available for streaming through iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Subscribe to our podcast to get automatic updates when we have new episodes, and please rate us. Remember, members of Virginia Realtors have access to our legal hotline. We can provide you with legal information. You can access this legal hotline on the Virginia Realtors website under the Legal tab on the For Members section. Remember, make sure you're logged in to see this page. Thanks. Bye. Although the members of this podcast are attorneys, the legal information in this program is not a substitute for personalized legal advice from an attorney licensed to practice in your jurisdiction. The information provided by Virginia Realtors is a general reference work as a public service and does not constitute solicitation or provision of legal advice. We provide this general legal information on an as-is basis. We make no warranties and disclaim liability for damages resulting from its use. Legal advice must be tailored to the specific circumstances of each case, and laws are constantly changing. The information provided in this program should not be used as a substitute for the advice of competent counsel. This has been a production of Virginia Realtors, copyright 2018. This podcast features the song Please Listen Carefully by Jazar. Available under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike License.